This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today is our February edition of Incentives and Instincts, a recurring series in which I speak with economist and friend Bryce Ward about some of the broader challenges facing our society. Bryce, what's happening today? You know, we're not having much of a winter. Uh, yeah, that trend continues. But, but we're here and we're going to talk about interesting and exciting things. Here we are. So there is this remarkable trend occurring in the political ideology of young people. In countries all over the world, young women are becoming more progressive and young men are growing more conservative. And this has all sorts of implications for society. Bryce, let's first describe this trend. How would you summarize this divergence in ideology? The simple version is women across the globe yeah. have become more progressive. The data for men, and again, young people, we're not talking about just in general. Um, Gen Z broadly. Yeah. The trends for men are more varied, whether it's no change versus their moving to the right. Mm -hmm. But like the point is, is that there is a divergence within cohort that is larger than we're used to seeing. Yeah. And while there's always been gender differences, usually they were kind of moving together. Right. Right. Uh, whereas what we've seen in the last few years is this, yeah, there's now a, the trends are cohort and gender are interacting uh, such, in such a way that, you know, there's now a big gap in how men and women perceive the, younger men and women perceive the world, what they think the problems are and what they think should be done about it. Right. So you could say like ideologically, there are almost two Gen Zs, the female Gen Z and the male Gen Z. Yeah. You know, and again, there's, of course, um, heterogeneity in both camps. Of course. We're yes. talking about averages or medians or typicals. But yes, uh, at the average gender cohort interaction, there is a gap. And this reflects, you know, this is data from the United States, this is data from the UK, Germany, South Korea. So these effects Spain, are- Spain, Italy, you know, right. you can kind of go, you can take a whole trip around the globe and you'll, you'll see similar issues. And so another thing to think about when talking about this is, is part of this is a language problem too. Like we don't quite have the right framework because- you know, yes, these findings have been conceptualized in terms of liberal and conservative uh, measured with various types of polling, but it's almost as if liberal and conservative aren't the right terms. I mean, we've chosen to use progressive when talking about women you know, because there, and we'll get into it, but there's some illiberalism happening across both cohorts. And when I say illiberalism, I mean a kind of setting tighter parameters around the sorts of dialogue and ideas that can be uh, discussed within these communities. Yes, it's very much a canceling generation. Yes. Cancel culture has become somewhat synonymous with left-leaning spaces, but it's very much true on the right as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's very much more common amongst the younger cohort. Right. Right. And so the question becomes, well, what's going on in the younger cohort that's leading them to be intolerant of 
lowercase l liberalism, um, which has been the dominant paradigm of the West for 200 years. Right. You know, that's a complicated question. Mm -hmm. The most intriguing explanation is uh, comes from a recent paper on the rise of zero-sum thinking. Right. We so, should define that. Zero-sum thinking is a belief that the world, that my gains come at your losses. Yes. And in particular, they're equal, right? My gain is exactly your loss, mm -hmm. or at least my gain is smaller than your loss, right? Yes. So it's zero or negative sum, right? As opposed to positive sum, which is, you know, we're both better off, or, you know, I'm better off by a lot more than you're worse off. So collectively, we're better off. And for many years, as far as I've been affiliated with business schools, how we teach negotiations is how to conceptualize negotiations in such a way that you can achieve positive sum. Because when you get into neg or negative and or zero sum thinking, there is a winner and a loser by construction. Ends justify means. Right. Uh, you know, all sorts of bad things start happening in a moral ethical space, right? You know, the way that you keep things constructive is by trying to find the positive sum. Now, that's not to say that there aren't situations that are zero sum. Right. There are zero sum situations. Um, there are even negative sum situations, right? But it is very easy to fall into a trap of thinking something is negative or zero sum when it's not. And right. that's what negotiation or difficult conversations or, you know, a lot of the stuff when we're training people, you know, how to interact with others, it's about helping you see the fact that, oh, there's, there's a way through here. That, that's, that's better than the alternative, right? There's a paper, you know, it's, you know, it's a U.S.-based paper, but they surveyed 20,000 Americans. Big sample. Big sample. They gave them these games to determine their prevalence of zero-sum thinking. Mm -hmm. And then they match that to their beliefs uh, on, you know, standard set of questions. And then very interestingly, they also linked it to their ancestry. And so, you know, what they find is younger generations, zero-sum thinking is much more prevalent than in older generations. Okay, Zero-sum thinking is correlated with very specific policy beliefs neither of which code or none of which are, you know, it's not just a simple, oh, that's progressive or conservative, right? Uh -huh. There are zero-sum ideas on both sides. Interesting. And they're the ones that generate a lot of heat, particularly amongst younger cohorts. Okay, let's talk about some examples here. Affirmative action, mm. uh, redistribution, immigration. So the notion that immigrants are harmful is a zero-sum idea. Immigrants come here and they harm Yes, or they take away services or whatever. We have a long history and a long history of evidence that there are positive sum opportunities. Frequently, we don't do a great job of compensating the losers because there's always going to be losers. But usually, you know, the net ben there are net benefits to be found. Yeah. Right? And so in economic space, it's frequently easy to find a way to a positive sum negotiation mm -hmm. compromise. Culture wars are not obviously yeah, zero Yeah, these sum. cultural issues. And that's sort of why I said liberal conservative isn't necessarily the right language, at least as we sort of have understood it in the recent decades. What matters for this discussion is, is that when you're beset by zero-sum thinking, you know, yeah, you end up in these very difficult fights that are very difficult to see your way to constructive solutions. And 
going back to then, well, maybe where's the gender in this? Well, that, that's just a cohort effect. Well, where's the interaction with gender? One of the things that's different amongst Gen Z men versus even older men is they are much more skeptical of feminism. Right. Right. They are more skeptical of a variety of women's empowerment ideas. I think they view some of this as zero sum. And, and a lot of that, I think, and it's speculated in, in, in the commentary, is that some of this can be tied to the Me Too movement. I think you and I would agree that that, that sort of watershed of a movement has been largely positive in the, in the sense that it has just uncovered uh, such a, an awful set of behaviors across a broad sector of powerful men. Yet, you know, the sort of transgressions of those men are not created equal. And I guess this is, this is dangerous terrain to talk about. The, this all goes back to the liberalism. Yes. Right? Cancel culture by itself and what is a cancelable, mm-hmm. right? That's the discussion here, yes. right? In progressive spaces, the transgressions have gotten smaller and smaller. You know, it's very much getting... You know, the backlash to it is because people, it's like, oh, you're almost reaching thought crime, mm-hmm. right? If you don't use the right words, if you don't acknowledge the right injustices, I don't want to claim that that is the dominant view of liberals or progressives or Democrats. It's not. But there is a set of spaces online and in the physical world where those ideas have sway yeah. and yeah. power and you know so it's not hard for me to imagine that young men looking at this they might be getting a little bit skeptical of it and then and this yeah. is important because gen z and the younger generations they spend so much less time interacting in the physical world yes they go off into gendered frequently online spaces which are echo chambers, and we're getting an increasing amount of literature that shows it's exactly what happens. Yep. And when I surround myself with people who are similar to me, we polarize because I keep hearing from you and you keep hearing from me about all the bad things and all the reasons why we're right and why everybody else is stupid and wrong. And we just kind of keep going, yeah. right? We are existing in these polarized, algorithmically generated media ecosystems. So it's it can be... You know, your your physical community you're selected into based on your own choices, but it can also be the choices that the media algorithms are serving us. We're not, and we've talked about this on this segment many times, we do not share a common view of reality. There are different versions of reality. And, and reality has always been sort of a contested thing, but now you can exist in a totally different reality and we're starting to see that that's probably occurring along gender lines and that's contributing to, it's sort of pouring gas on this fracture that we're identifying right because you know and the anecdote to the antidote to this is you know we again we have ample literature demonstrating which is when you are forced to interact with people who have different viewpoints and ideas it pulls you back down to reality, sure. pulls you back into oh wait that that's right you know oh I hadn't thought about that. Um, oh, yeah, you're right on that. Um, and, you know, we kind of get back into something that's more constructive and, you know, allows us to kind of find the good and the important 
and maybe not fall subject to stuff that's, you know, a little bit too far off the rails. Yeah. And you, and you, and it breaks down the zero sum framework, right? So, so, you know, for the listener who's, who's, who's bumping at some of the things we've proposed here, there's, there's open debate as to what the catalyzing forces are here, but what appears to be the key mechanism is this zero sum trap. Yeah, it's it's you know where it's isolation plus zero sum, right? right? You know, it's but you fall into that yeah, and you view, view the world as far as winners and losers, and that view of the world calcifying has led to our men and women diverting in terms of their political uh, ideology in the last eight years. We'll be back to my conversation with Bryce Ward after this short break. A new angle is supported by First Security Bank. Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey, this is John Wicks from Deaf Charlie, and you are listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm here with Bryce Ward discussing the emerging ideological divide between Gen Z men and women. We're talking about this because it's this new thing with men and women. It's not to say that this is only happening with men and women, yeah. right? We've talked about the polarization of a whole, of a whole host of different sure. things, you know, already, right? Like urban versus rural, that's the same thing. There's some differences in racial attitudes, you know, and all of these forces, right? To the extent that you fall under a, a viewpoint of zero sum, and then I reinforce that in a socially isolated ecosystem mm -hmm. where I continue to hear why I'm right and they're wrong. And again, they, right? And there's yeah, identity yeah. here, right? Strong. You know, strong identity, right? It's not just, oh, let's break down the notions of gender identity. Like, we're all the same and we're, you know, it's like, let's, no, we're going to rebuild gender as an identity. And let's talk about all the reasons why, you know, women are different than men and why, you know, if I'm a woman, women are better than men. Or if I'm a man, why men are supposed to be better than, you know, and, mm -hmm. and the, you know, these things then just echo around and you just, you know, and then when I come and ask you about your views, you tell the, the surveyor, oh, I think this, right? You know, we're just kind of moving farther away from each other when it's not clear that any of this is based in reality. I mean, there's the reality of the problems that, you know, that Me Too is addressing or that discussions of racism are addressing or, you know, whatever, you know, when we're talking about a lot of things that underpin the culture war, there are real problems. Yeah, absolutely. Right? A lot of the framing of this is zero sum, mm -hmm. right? Well, the only way to rectify this injustice or this past injustment is to take from you and give to them. While you can find ways to frame that in positive some ways, because I do believe that sometimes redistribution can generate positive some outcome. If we're not talking about it in those terms, if we're not, you know, making sure, you know, and again, part of the rise in zero-sum thinking, in part, it's just a general rise in negativity um, that we see uh, in the world. But part of it is because we have a lot of, well, the development of the media ecosystem that is much more robust than existed, you know, 70 years ago, and then increased competition within that media system means that there is always demand for the cost, right? You can find the greatest story in the world, and there will be an article written by some entrepreneurial journalist sure. yep. finding the people who were harmed, Yep. right? So we are aware of every 
single thing that goes wrong. I, you know, like um, I recently gave an interview right here on Montana Public Radio about the fact that average hourly wages in Montana increased by 10% last year. Which on its face seems like a great thing. That seems like a great thing. However, if you really want to think about it, right, I can go find all sorts of people who are the losers. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm sure. Well, the cost of this went up because those wages went up. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, and so and, and the fact that I can do this off the top of my head, I can tell you with any positive story, like the three angles of negativity sure. is because I've seen those articles so many times, right? That, you know, and I know, and, you know, it, it has become in the past decade in particular, it is an absolutely refined, tried and true media strategy of that seems good. It must be bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like here's that, that sort of contrarian framing. And then it's used as a playbook on cable news often. This good, it is. Good thing happens on the other side. Let's paint the, the downside of it. Who are the losers? That's right. It's absolutely a successful media strategy. Absolutely. Right? So we marinate in this negativity. And again, it, because of increased tribalism, my tribe. Yep. Right? And therefore, everything is always bad. I'm always on the lookout for bad. And as a human, I'm already primed that way, it appears. exactly. So we end up in this world where if I'm not tethered to reality, and this, again, it is not surprising to me that this is happening to the youngest generation, right? The rest of us grew up in a world where we had to interact with each other. The American Time Use Survey, one of the categories, the big categories of time use is time spent caring for or helping others outside Mm. your household. Yep. So for the average person, you look at the frequency of any time that they reported doing this, it works out to kind of, you know, once a week. You know, the average American 20 years ago was reporting that they were doing something, you know, giving a ride to a friend, you know, helping their mom, you know, out at the house, whatever it was, right? Uh, In 2022, that was down to barely, just over once a week. Right. So, uh, you know, it's like a 40% decline, right? If I look at young men, 15 to 25 year old men, the decline is 70%. Young women aren't as bad, but like young people, the declines are bigger in general for both, you know, and we hear a lot about, oh, how young people are, you know, uh, because they've got to get into college or like volunteering. And, you know, no. They're not doing it. Participation in school activities, school sports, volunteering time, it's all down massively, wow. right? So we're not social, you know, and they're not spending that time hanging out with friends. They're not spending time in structured environments, you know, exposing themselves to others in their community. They're not helping other people outside their household, right? They're just living in an isolated, frequently virtual online existence. And I think that's, we're seeing some of the, adverse effects of that in different perceptions of reality because again a grounding in reality it requires exposure to a diversity of people in a diversity of situations over a long period of time so let's sort of turn our attention to the possible implications of all this one might be hearing this and thinking well you know men had this coming they were dominant in the social hierarchy for far too long and now that women are getting some power and and approaching quality on a variety of dimensions it just appears that men can't deal with it 
and, and maybe that's part of it. But I mean, that's been around forever, though. It, it well, it has. I been, certainly heard that. Sure. Like you know, when I was a young man growing up, like you know, that women are entering the workforce in massive levels. You know, there was this notion that women were taking jobs. And, sure. You know, so like that zero sum notion isn't new. Right. It's the reaction to it. Uh, the divergence in reaction to it is what's different. Exactly. And, and whatever the mechanism, the numbers that you're reporting are real. I mean, the statistic out of the UK is, is compelling. You know, six in 10 women in the UK are going to college and it's down to four in 10 men. Same here. And it's similar here. And we're seeing downstream consequences of that. Women entering the workforce are having a hard time finding a comparable mate in social status. Marriage rates are declining. Uh, childbirth rates are declining. Society is, is, I mean, you could, you could argue fracturing in, in, in many ways. And we've built a system around a certain amount of growth you know, both in terms of population and the economy. Now we can debate whether or not that's the right way to build a society, um, but, but let's set that aside for a whole nother episode. Anyway, this is going. This is potentially has grave effects if men are sort of are selecting out of education, selecting out of some of the civic institutions and norms that have guided society for a long time. This this is going to have grave effects in terms of how our society operates. You know, and again, one of the fundamental differences about younger generations, the younger generations, is just how little they date, how little sex they have. You know, they're just not connecting with each other. Mm -hmm. Part of this is just the fact that it's become harder and harder to find status. Yeah. Right? We've created not along, you know, along with income inequality, which we talk a lot about, we've also created a lot of status inequality, mm. right? We've kind of removed some of the traditional pathways to status in a small town, right? Like, you know, if you went back into when we were in high school, like for good or bad, if you were a high school athlete, there was status. It is not clear to me that there is the same level of status associated with any activity uh, in schools anymore. Right. So you're suggesting that's a that's a reason why folks are potentially opting out of some of these activities. Well, yeah, just... people are driven by status. That mm -hmm. is what it is a social part of human experience. Yeah. There is potentially some zero sum aspects to it because it's, it it moves with attention, and attention mm -hmm. is something that you know I can increase if I increase the population size, I can create some more grants for status, or whatever it is. But a lot of what we've done in a networked world with superstar effects is not only does that concentrate income in the hands of a few people, it concentrates status in the hands of a few people, right? Like it's your influencer now online or whatever it is. Well, they get lots of status, whereas the typical person online has relatively limited status, right? Because we've globalized status, right? Like now people are seeking the uber golden ticket of status. Sure. Right? Yep. So I think we've actually reduced the maybe reduce status overall, but if nothing else, we've reduced the availability of status to in a lot of places. Hmm. And I, I think that just leaves people adrift, right? You know, it's like, well, what am I supposed to do, right? Like, what am I supposed to do to make myself 
feel like I'm a important contributing part of this group? And how do I demonstrate that if I'm a man to a female or if I'm a female to a man, right? What is it that I'm using to demonstrate, you know, the online, you know, joke is that women are only interested in men who are over six feet tall, Hmm. right? That's what's now status, right? Like, you know, it's like, if you're not six feet tall, you're out. Wow. Right. Hmm. You know, and of course, there's only so many people that are six feet tall. Yeah. And you um, don't have a lot of control over it. You know, you don't have any control over it. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's just, we have this issue of what am I doing to get into the world and get meaningful feedback from my community that I can feel good about, right? And then go into the world, you know, puffed out, head high, because I'm, a contributor, right? And I can show then the other people around me that I'm a contributor. And they will be like, wow, you are a contributor. Sure. And because I'm a contributor, that means that I will have friends and I will have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, you know, I will get married. And, you know, I'm just not sure how that operates given the ecosystem that we've created. We talked on a lot of threads in this conversation. To summarize, like we're seeing this effect. We don't know why it's happening. But it's happening, and it's happening in more than just the United States, and it will have and is already probably having consequences for how the order of our society, and it, in my view, has huge potential to be quite disruptive. Um, so we'll be talking about this more in, in, in the coming months. So as we close, a couple of notes for the audience. We need to say a farewell to our production assistant, Ella Hall. She's been running our social media and producing our promos and has overall been a wonderful member of the team. She's off to a great opportunity with the Northern Rockies Fire Science Network. Maddie Jordan, a first-year master's student in environmental journalism, is coming on board to take those responsibilities. So, so long, Ella. Best of luck and welcome to Maddie. And the second update is we just launched a new website. So go over to anewanglepodcast.com. Check it out. There you'll find the opportunity to subscribe and even support the show directly. In the coming months, we'll be rolling out subscriber-only content and other bonuses. So if you want to have those benefits and want to support the show and what we do here, uh, have a look at the subscription options. Anyway, Bryce, as always, thanks. I look forward to continuing our conversation about this and other stuff that's on our mind. So thanks for being here yet again. Hey, happy to be here. No shortage of things to talk about. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Warren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business, with additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Kelly Larson is our producer. Maddie Jordan is our production assistant. VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.